Hello and welcome to the State of Customer Service podcast where we interview CX and CS leaders who have incredible stories to tell about how they improve their customer service department and achieve results for their customers and employees. This week I'm interviewing the founder of the CX Accelerator and the Chief Experience Officer at Officium Labs, Nate Brown. Nate and his team have been working with a Fortune 10 gaming company to build a best-in-class customer service experience, and they've already moved the company from 30% to 90% customer satisfaction, and are hitting a ton of other crazy metrics that show they're having a massive impact on the customer and employee experience. Listen to this episode through to the end to find out what they've done and to get ideas for how you can improve CSAT scores, customer lifetime value, and automate more of your department. If you don't already, hit subscribe and go through our backlog of incredible leaders in the space. We've also got a community over at Senti Sun, which you should definitely join if you want to get involved in podcasts or other articles that we write as a community on the subject of customer experience and customer service improvement. Just head over to sentisum.com and you'll find it there. Hey, welcome to the podcast. It's really great to be talking to you today. Um, My pleasure. Happy to be here. What's going on today, Ben? Welcome. Perfect end of the week call for me on a Friday afternoon. Indeed. I've been looking forward to this. <laughs> um. Why don't we just start with, uh, if you just tell us your introduction. <laughs> sure. My name is Nate. I do customer experience things. I, I love this topic. I just think it's the most fascinating part of business. I mean, we're talking about generating loyalty, enhancing the perceptions that customers have towards the brands and the employees too, enhancing the perception that they have the companies that they work for. So that, I mean, ultimately what I love and very much like Simon Sinek, I, I just want people to have great, meaningful work and to be able to interface with brands that are meaningful, that are adding value to our lives, that are reducing friction for us, reducing stress, so that we can all live better because of the experiences that we're designing for one another. Wow, <laughs> that's great. And, and so you're working at Officium Labs. You've also um, founded the CX Accelerator, which is actually where I sort of met you. We'll talk about the CX Accelerator for a second. Like what was the, what's your kind of why behind that? Yeah, well, it's kind of a weird answer. Uh, I, I was stuck. I was very much stuck in my role at, at a company at that time and, and was not able to do some of the creative work that I wanted to do in, in the area of CX. Mm -hmm. And was like, you know what? If I can't do it here, then I'm going to go find a creative outlet elsewhere. I'm going to create it myself. Mm -hmm. And I uh, was also doing a blog for a while. But I mean, the original intent I had of the blog was to be learning with other like-minded people in this space of customer service and CX. And writing a blog doesn't achieve that. It's very much like, here's this thing that I learned and I'm gonna put it out on the internet now and there's not like gonna be a big comment thread on that. Uh, so I was like, what I, what I really wanna do is a community where we're learning together, we're engaging with one another in a more dynamic way and, and Slack just made that so easy to do. I was able to, to create a, a CX community via Slack and, and a brand around that called CX Accelerator and kicking that off with the CX Primer, uh, which is just a, a massive resource to help people start in the area of customer experience. And the combination of those two things, uh, it was timely. It was good. And, and people jumped in and they also were looking for this. And so we just created a really good edifying organic community from the start. And it's growing now to about 2,500 people. And, and there's just great learning happening in there every day. It's been awesome. <laughs> That's so great. I think it's, it's definitely like I've been in this industry for like only nearly a year now. The first thing I found when I was looking for Slack groups and communities to learn from was CX, CX Accelerator. I think I'm, I'm one of the like support driven. But there's only, yeah, it is really great. And there's, so there's basically two that I find 
like it's full of people and I've met lots of people through it already so good I think it's fulfilling the goals of everyone learning together for sure. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And then I uh, came on, it was about a year and a half ago to Officium Labs as the, the chief experience officer. And mm-hmm. I've just been loving the, this past year and a half uh, getting to serve in that role uh, as a practitioner. You know, I'm embedded doing the work of CX and in, in some of the top gaming studios in the world and more. Uh, we get, we got all kinds of different customers that, that we're serving, creating incredible customer experiences uh, but then also getting to be an evangelist on the topic of CX and, and speak and write and, and learn and be helping to, to bring up the entire community of CX in any way that I can. I think it's the, the best thing to be like, if you're in a job, to actually be loving it so much that you want to be an evangelist. <laughs> and build Indeed. A I think it makes you, makes you, I mean, find something you're passionate in, right? So let's, as I mentioned, this podcast season is about talking about CX improvement projects. Would you mind just, okay, can we start with like an overview of this project? Sounds amazing. So I'm excited just to get your- For sure. I mean, let me, let me just say, I think it's a brilliant format that you're using for this because a lot of times the work of CX becomes very theoretical. It becomes very much like a lip service thing of, oh yeah, we got we to gotta serve our customers well. And then that's it. You know, there's, there's not <laughs> best practices that's put around that. There's not an ROI engine that's created around our ability to, to grow the business through great customer experience. And, and we do have the ability to do that if, if we give ourselves the chance and we set a correct foundation. Um, so in, in the case of this project, which was inside of a, a Fortune 10 gaming studio, the challenge that was put out in front of us was to transform the customer service department into a best-in-class service center. Like that was the opportunity that was extended to us. And, and it took the form of a number of different goals to reach 80% customer satisfaction by 2023. Mm-hmm. Well, it's uh, what is it? 2021. We're already at 90% customer mm-hmm. satisfaction. Uh, <laughs> so we, we have crushed <laughs> that particular goal. Uh, but then I love this next one. It, it was to demonstrate a 15% increase in customer lifetime value for, for these MVP players receiving support by 2023. That's another thing where we've been able to, to accelerate uh, quickly on, on the line of this goal where, I mean, it's, it's just customer lifetime value. There's a clubhouse chat going on today and I was so encouraged by it because it was a group of like a, several hundred product managers, wasn't even CX people, but the, the title of the room was customer lifetime value. Is it the North star? Is it? So it was product owners that are waking up to the fact that if we develop a great product, then what that results in is loyalty with our customers and an expansion in the, the time that they do business with us and expansion in the share of wallet in terms of what they invest into us. So is it the North Star for CX professionals? It's hard to, to beat this in terms of customer lifetime value. And so we have been able to demonstrate and correlate when we get that improvement in CSAT, <laughs> when we do a great job serving our players here, they're going to spend more time in the game they're going to invest more into that, into that environment. Uh, so it, it does translate into this huge revenue opportunity. And I mean, we've been able okay. to, to generate and protect upwards of $4 million over the course of this project. I mean, significant return on the investment of, of generating and designing this world-class service center. The, the benefits are real. It's, it's, uh, it's so many people focus on getting the customers in and not or on retention to some extent, but definitely not like not really linking the, the work of customer service and customer experience to that 
getting the lifetime value. I think it's a growing awareness and a growing opportunity. And I really rate that you're like linking it to, to revenue and thinking like we're making an opportunity here. It's not about, it's not a nice to have. It's like critical. I mean, to your point of uh, it's not just about getting customers in the door. It's about what, what can we do with them? I mean, Rob Markey this morning on, on that clubhouse chat, uh, he's the, the founder of the customer success practice inside of Bain and company. Uh, he, he said, I don't care how many customers you get. I care how many you keep. <laughs> and it is that loyalty factor that matters more. I mean, some really creative marketing can get customers in the door, but ultimately it's the experience and the authenticity of a great experience that mm -hmm. keeps them there and generates that customer lifetime value. That's what matters. Yeah, definitely. The amount of products that I've sort of impulse signed up for, and then I never continue to not get value and, and just then... I've churned or gone somewhere else. So creating a best in class customer service is the project. What does that, do they have any, do they let you know, like this is the kind of things that we consider best in class or where they like go and tell us what best in class is? Well, I mean, it was more outcome based. So it was these goals uh, that, that, that are being discussed here in terms of 80% customer satisfaction. That's what great support looks like to us. How you get there, that's for you to discover. Because we, we don't know yet what's going to result in that player indicating that they're very satisfied with their interaction with us. Uh, another was to create a next generation technology stack to get a 360 degree view of the player. So, I mean, that it was good to have a realistic depiction of what we knew in the beginning of this product or this project. It, it was minimal in terms of our insight into the customer and, and their, their ultimate experience. We, we needed to create the voice of customer capabilities and the overall tech stack that would give us insight into what this experience actually looked like so that we could influence it in the right ways. And, so, and then another, another part of this in, inside of that technology conversation was to achieve 30, 35% automation by 2023 as well. And, right. that, and we're well on path with that objective. And then the last uh, goal associated with the project was to create an exceptional employee experience and to be considered a best place to work so that we can attract the top talent and continue to improve the service that we can deliver to our players through the best support talent internally. Cool. And, and uh, well, we can get into like the more of the results in a little bit later, because I know, I know you have some great results around that, like employee experience as well. Um, okay, so, so so where did you where did you start on this kind of project? If you have this goal of creating best in class, not just best in class service, but high satisfaction, high lifetime value, where did you guys start? Yeah, I mean, laying the foundation here through change management principles and project management discipline, <laughs> Asana, <laughs> like immediately really relying upon Asana to gain clarity on what we were doing why we were doing it, who was responsible, and, and having a, a really great project manager that was at the center of this wheel and, and the various spokes that were ultimately turning this thing and moving it forward. Having that, a project manager that is capable of doing that is so critical. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of change initiatives where you have this dynamic, loud, CX leader that, that can inspire and get people excited about it. But then, but then what, you know, when that person walks out of the room, what actually occurs? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it, it's great to have that. You want to have energy and excitement and inspiration around this. I mean, John Coder talks about the number one thing you do at the beginning of a change management cycle is establish a sense of urgency. 
you have to make people want to change. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that has to be there. And, and our CEO of Officium is brilliant at, at doing that. Jonathan is remarkable at generating that excitement in harmonizing people, getting them together, using a common language of change and getting that sense of urgency going. But then couple him with a really, really talented project manager that can be there to make sure that these things are executed on mm-hmm. in, a, in a harmonious format and that we're coordinated and aligned. That's how things actually get done. So, I mean, that's where it started. Let's get a sense of urgency going. Let's make people see why this change is necessary. This is important. This is good. This is good for us. This is good for the player. And that awakens the desire for change. Then we set the foundation of how we're going to change. The common language, the change methodology, the project management approach, that's where it started. So those are like the foundations of making change happen. Well, I've worked in a tech company that primarily worked with uh, public service institutions so like councils and things and wow it's hard to get people excited and make them make change happen um, it can be so i don't envy that like the, i'm sure the bigger the company the, the harder it can be i mean inertia is, is the thing that that yes. is waiting there inside of large organizations you have people that are sitting on the fence that have resisted change mm-hmm. management initiatives for years that are hiding yeah and they have to be mobilized one, one, way, one direction or the other. They either have to get on board with the change or they need to go find somewhere else to be because mm-hmm. you together cannot change as a team when you have an organization of fence sitters. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why that sense of urgency and that sense of unity even, this is, this is not something where we're going to see how this works out for us. This is not a maybe, <laughs> if, what, but. This is a, our organization is going to be here we're so excited for you to join us on this journey. Here's why we're doing it. Here's how you play a role in it. And, and, and somehow communicating the fact this is not optional. Yeah. So what, so what kind of um, cuts, uh, cuts like CSAT score or whatever were they on before? 30. 30%. Wow. And what, so what made it jump to, how, when did you start this project? It was uh, 2000, late, late 2018. Okay, so it jumped to 90% in in like less than three years. Yeah. I mean, even just in the past few months, we had a a major jump from, from 80 to 90%. And I mean, you might know it's kind of like golf, (laughs) but it's easy to go from a 20 handicap down to a 10 handicap, but to Mm -hmm. get from a 10 handicap down to like a five handicap, the better you get, the harder it is to actually move the needle. So going from 80% to 90% is just a tremendous accomplishment. Yeah, that's very true. So was this specifically around the customer service, like customer satisfaction around customer service or was it as a, as a whole? Well, yeah, I was, I was, I was going to get there a little bit later, but yeah. So it started very much in, in customer service and in, in the transformation project in in the scope of this project that we're talking about, it it is focused on customer support, but it, it definitely has made waves and has translated outward into these other areas of the studio. And I'll give you the example of, of something that I've been getting to work on, which is this player journey effort where we've developed these player personas. Okay. And we've identified these, these different groups of players. We've got three big core player groups that we've identified, developed these persona scorecards around, did a bunch of interviews on these players and, and created these, inter- these videos 
to be able to show who these personas are and what makes them unique and distinctive. And then basically bring that back to the studio and say, here's who you're serving. Here's why they play this game. And here's what you can do to best engage them. And so, I mean, that's an effort that's translated into the, to the UX team, the, the game team, the community team, the yeah. social team, the analytics team. I mean, whatever you're doing to, to enhance the, the, the game, it's now thinking about who, is, who am I building this for? Mm-hmm. And how am I going to enhance their journey specifically now that I know what matters most to them? Mm-hmm. So it's really helping to change the mentality of the larger studio. Um, yeah. So that's tangential to this original project. That wasn't in the original scope, mm-hmm. but it's the right thing to do. And it's been really good, fascinating work. Yeah, that's so true. I think, I think there's always this challenge of having, having like a lot of or like frontline interactions with the customer uh, from the customer service department, but then, anyone who's like the further you get back in that step is not, not tied in and aware. And so like building personas where they can really be engaged with this as a real person. Indeed. It's powerful. Um, okay. So, so from the, in the actual customer service department, do you mind talking me through like, I don't know, some like concrete things that you did to change that made it go so dramatic, like triple in. Yeah. I mean, it, it was really like taking a holistic approach to, to these different pockets of things that were going on inside of this complex service team. So, I mean, we, we had that project management function and inside of that developing these different pillars. And, and these pillars are things like interactions, workforce management, knowledge management, training, quality. And, and, we, and we just really, we, we developed ownership inside of each of these pillars wow, okay. and we thought about, we dreamed out what is best in class look like in this specific pillar. <laughs> and we developed a, a cadence around that. We developed a transformation plan around that. And then we started to look at that bigger picture. Okay. How do these things roll up together to where we can still have a unified experience? We don't want to work so focused on these pillars that we create a fragmented experience both for our people internally and ultimately for the player. So we want to have these great goals, these transformational elements that are specific to each pillar, but we want to make sure that they're rolling up and aligning in a way that's going to achieve the original goals that we had. So keeping that in mind the whole time. Yeah, so it's, it's taking that holistic approach, but also combining that with a very focused approach in these different areas of discipline and having great people, great resources that are excited about that area, that can have some ownership on it, have great skill in their ability to guide that function and bring it into the larger whole, and then communicating the heck out of it. <laughs> so many like checkpoint meetings, transformation meetings, stakeholder meetings. I mean, at first I was, I, I couldn't believe how many meetings there were just to talk about what we were doing. And I was like, this is way too many meetings. But now I like, I mean, it's another John Coderism. I mean, you have to repeat stuff like eight or nine times in different ways for it to actually sink into somebody's mind. And, and, you know, Ben, I mean, you know how tempted we are as human beings to disalign ourselves and to go rogue, even just subconsciously. Like we just, I, well, this, I don't feel like doing that anymore. And this looks a little more exciting. I'm just going to go over here and do this, or I'm just going to let that coast. 
<laughs> like when you're when you're in meetings two three times a week giving accountability and giving a report on these things and making sure that oh well i mean this is a dependency here if, if i don't finish this knowledge core initiative here then i'm preventing the analytics team from doing what they need to do on their their clv correlation <laughs> so like you're you're holding people up so i mean there's a good organic accountability that comes from this design within these pillars and, and it's good and it's healthy and having those, those abundance of meetings has been very important to keep people yeah. locked in and on track. Pain, painful, but, but really needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Um, I think, I guess it's, it's way too much detail to go into each pillar and what exactly you did, but I am, um, but it's, but it's, I think it's a really good point just having a genuine accountability over uh, and empowering one person to take ownership of something gives them like, okay, I'm actually going to improve this. Yeah. Uh, And I'll give you the example of the training pillar because that's the one that I've been working in uh, the the most personally. I I mean, first it was just, wow, we we don't have, we don't have an LMS as an example. (laughs) Let's, let's bring in the right tools here. Let's develop this tool stack again uh, to where we can get that 360 degree view of, of the player and also of our people and, and the experiences that we're creating. So making sure that that's in place and then uh, accelerating beyond that to uh, what we've been calling like a culture of learning. So, I mean, let, let's stop just doing training as a check the box. Let, let's do training as a way where we can foster talent and knowledge inside of our people that we can make them love the work that they're doing, advance them towards additional career opportunities. Let's take more of that approach to training. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's been a, a cool and exciting transformation just inside of that mentality and, and doing some really great stuff that is more like skill-based and more opportunity-based rather than just, well, here's what we need to know about the game. And then here's this mm-hmm. rudimentary skill here, you know, let's, let's really get some excitement around training and doing workshops to get feedback from the various stakeholders on what, what are the gaps in your knowledge right now? Mm-hmm. How can training come alongside you and partner with you to make sure that you have all the skill, all the knowledge that you would ever need to do your job? Uh, we we want to know what the gaps are and, and getting some really great and robust feedback through that as well as just getting people excited about the, the different training modules that are coming up and the things that we're doing together as a training team uh, those, those workshops serve both purposes. What kind of, what's, what's like a, an, an in, example you find like interesting of a module that you was introduced or something like that? Yeah. I mean the player persona module, <laughs> <laughs> here's, who's your, here's who your players actually are. Yeah. And that's something we're actively developing in terms of uh, the, these different personas and, and how can I engage them differently? How can I personalize the support experience mm-hmm. to make it really special for this player? So that, that would be an example. That's a great, what, what, kind of, um, what kind of game is this? Just to make it a bit more contextual. Yeah, it's a really dynamic like player versus player type of game. Like I, I call it like a 4D game where you've got all these dimensions inside of it. There's an economy built into the game. Uh, millions upon millions of players inside of it. Um, so it's a very robust environment. People are generally coming into the, to the game because they're attracted to this large universe, this IP that has been created. They're excited to enter into this reality that has been designed for them in this beautiful way. 
And, and then there's this community there waiting for you. Uh, some are trying to kill you, uh, but many others are looking to form an allegiance with you and, and make these cool things happen. And uh, the social atmosphere inside of the game is, is a tremendous loyalty driver for a, a large demographic of the players. Mm-hmm. So there's like in-game um, spending on certain things or do they, yeah. Very much. Nice. All kinds of resources, all different kinds of currencies. Yeah. Very complex of- economy. I can imagine, like, imagine how important customer service must be actually to one of those games. Because if you, if if something goes wrong, you need it kind of fixed, or you feel really hard done by if you just spent some money on. Oh yeah, I mean, we're <laughs> there. There's a cost to to issues that arise, <laughs> and and it needs to be rectified, and it needs to be rectified quickly and efficiently to get people back back in and playing and on the path that they're that they're striving towards a huge demographic of the players are personal achievers. Uh, that's, that's what we call that persona. They're, they're looking to accomplish goals and, and many of them are escaping the reality of their life right now. I mean, most of us are stuck to some degree because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so having really good quality outlets where we can go and explore and just be unbound outside of the walls of our house and, and be able to accomplish these objectives that are meaningful to us. When, when, when even your sub-reality starts to get broken and have problems, I mean, you can imagine what that does to the psychology of somebody. It's like, oh, life is frustrating <laughs> enough. And then I escape over here into this parallel universe, and then there's problems over there too. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it breaks the illusion. Yeah. When there's problems there. And so, I mean, having just a frictionless experience for them is so critical to maintaining that loyalty and, and creating that good, healthy outlet for them to be able to experience the type of thing that they're, they're looking to generate. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's really interesting. Was there a huge in, uh, increase in the number of users in the last year? Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah I mean, to, to some degree, yes. Um, yes and no. So, I mean, there's been, there's definitely been some spikes and some different things. There's been some really creative events that have been done and some different things in the overall gaming space, tremendous spike. I mean, there are 2.7 billion gamers in the world, (laughs) many of which have been added in the past year and a half, everything from the dabbler, which is somebody that's just uh, maybe well on the toilet swiping for five minutes into a game and then they're not going to look at it again. You know, we, we would still call that person a gamer all the way up to like the 10, 12 hours a day lifestyle gamer. What, so what, are the, what are those personas? Lifestyle, dabbler, you mentioned one other. What are those? Oh, well, I'm, so I'm, I'm kind of mixing two things. Like the, the broader oh. gaming space, you, you've got you know, five or six kind of well-known personas that are out there. And then inside of the, this transformation project that we're talking about, um, that there's three that, that would be associated with that one. So you have like the community socializer, somebody mm-hmm. that's really there for that social network inside of the game. You've got that personal achiever, somebody that's on a mission to accomplish certain goals that they've created for themselves. And then you've got the, the conqueror, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is somebody that is looking to rise above and to, to find the top slot in the game. <laughs> and, and personal achievement to them takes a very specific category. I, I want to dominate. Wow. And, and do you have, um, I mean, are all the, all the analytics in place that when someone calls customer service, you can kind of quickly see who they are? Yeah, we're tagging them. We're tagging them through Zendesk. 
Okay. And, and there's behaviors that we're identifying as early as possible in the game that are helping us to identify who that, that player is. This studio has a remarkably talented analytics group. And it, it's really cool the insights that we can get on the different player types and understand who they are, what their motivators are very early in the game. And that is something that we're looking to bring into the customer service experience as much as we can. A really interesting use case, I think, for, for insights and analytics, like really uncovering who a user is while they're playing. I think that's... I mean, it, it translates to every type of experience design. Let, let's step out of the, the player experience world for just a moment. Everybody's trying to do something. There's a motivator for why they're doing business with you. The more you can understand what that motivator is for them, what, what they truly value about you, what makes you unique to them, <laughs> yeah. and double down on that distinctiveness... I mean, that's what's going to generate that loyalty. That's what's going to open up that share of wallet mm-hmm. and, and open up what, what could have been just a humdrum relationship that's very transactional to now, wow, this company understands me. They know what I want. Yeah. I, I recognize them because they recognize me. And, and suddenly you're developing a, a very dynamic relationship. That's kind of like where um, customer experience and, and branding very much like interlink i think oh yeah the line is just blurring more and more all the time ben i I don't know if you've read fusion by denise leone but i mean that's what first made me see just how correlated marketing and cx truly are i mean marketing is out here creating a brand promise they're saying this is who we are as a company this is what we bring to the world uniquely and they're putting that up on the website or whatever they're doing. They're, they're announcing to the world, this is what we do as a company. But then it's the customer experience that comes along behind that and makes it real, that makes it authentic, that, that gives life to that skeleton. <laughs> yeah. When you try to disassociate those two things, what, what, what you have cannot live. It cannot breathe. And the customer feels that. And, and they're going to be having expectations that are mismatched for the actual experience and they will not be loyal to you. That's a, that's a really, yeah, it's a, it's a great point that the customer experience is delivering on the brand promise. I think um, entirely. Someone else has said that to me recently, which strangely, like I'd never heard it before, but now I've heard it twice in a week. <laughs> the person was telling me uh, one way to, to sell the value of customer experience within your company is to, to say, do you care about your brand promise? Yeah. You want to align with your values, then you need to sort out your customer experience. Yeah, no, there was a, an in-moment event that I was at in Nashville at, at City Winery and, and a gentleman said, um, your brand promise is no longer what you put on your website. It's what one customer says to another. Mm, yeah. like, we don't even get to form our own brand promise anymore. Because <laughs> people don't believe it. We, we ruined that as marketers in the 2000s and before by making false, inauthentic brand promises. So now the customer isn't going to listen to us and what we say about ourselves. They're going to listen to the people, the customers. They're going to listen to the actual employees inside of that company, which is why, as I'm sure you're well familiar with, Ben, as a marketer, when we share things from our our handle socially Mm -hmm. as a company, it performs so minusculely when compared to when our employees, our ambassadors, our influencers are sharing things and they care about something as a person 
Yeah. That's, that's what makes people look at it and wake up and cares like, Oh, this person cares. I wonder why. I wonder if I also should care, but they're not going to care when your company handle is putting something out near as much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've experienced that. I'm trying to crack the company page. How can I get it engagement on it? Um, it's, it's hard. Okay. We don't have uh, too long. So let's say like five minutes left. Sure. I think, if I had to focus on one more thing, I think it'd be interesting to know about voice of the customer stuff and the analytics and more about that. So we, you said tagging in Zendesk, very much like what part of what we do is Sentisum. So interesting for me. How are you, how are you approaching that? Like getting better insights from customer service in this project? Yeah. Well, I mean, even beyond customer service, you know, I'm, I'm a huge advocate for centralizing voice of customer data. Because the, the, the days have been too long <laughs> where marketing has collected their voice of customer information in the form of like an NPS score and a relationship-based survey. How do you feel about us? Then customer service is saying, how did you feel about this issue resolution? And if they're advanced, they're asking the customer effort score. Were we able to resolve your problem quickly and easily? But you still, you're creating a data silo inside of support. Then you have your product team. They're out here asking, oh, did you like that? Do you like this feature? What about this one? What if we did this? And they're doing roundtables, they're doing customer advisory boards, and they're getting all this customer information and it never comes together (laughs) (laughs) to actually show us what what this customer's experience holistically actually looks like. And then things like finance and other areas of the company don't have any feedback at all, even though they're a critical part of the journey. So centralizing this stuff is so, so, so important. And that's something that we've looked to bring to this transformation effort is thinking about what does this 360 degree view of the player look like? How can we tap into the social data? How can we tap into community? How can we use spike trap and other customer sentiment capabilities to really unlock and give visibility to what this player's overall experience actually looks like? Then we bring our great customer service analytics and we have excellent data uh, that we, we use. Um, well, I won't get specific into tools. We've got a great partner for, for customer sentiment, player sentiment in the area of customer service. And so we know what our interactions look like with that player, what they love about customer service, but then we don't, we don't necessarily know what they love about the game. Mm-hmm. So that's when that comes from other areas and the combination of this is so important. So we, we've done things called like listening path, listening post maps, which comes out of Gene Bliss's customer officer 2.0. And Annette Franz has some great literature on this too with customer understanding. Uh, but you're, you're thinking through what are the different touch points that this customer has with you? Let's look at this through the lens of the customer and how can we identify where our listening opportunities are and should be in terms of how are we collecting customer information in this touch point? Maybe we're not. And that means this is a gap because this is an important part of the journey and we don't have feedback here. We need to develop some. And that's an area where we've challenged the studio of we don't have feedback here. We need to design something here where we can learn from this player. And then you look at another part of the journey and maybe you have tons and tons of data, but it's not aligning. It's, it's, not, it's not plugged in to the overall player experience. And that's where you got to find a way. How can we bring this into the flow in a way where we can actually see what's going on with the player in a meaningful way and know how critical this touch point is? Is this a moment of truth in their journey? 
or maybe it's not. And maybe we're putting way too much effort here when in fact we need to be investing our time and energy over here because the player values this interaction point way more. Those are the type of things that you start to learn in a good holistic voice of, of a player or voice of customer effort. So all the stuff that you hear people talking about the problems and the, and it sounds like you're solving all of those. We're trying. I mean, there, you, you solve two and then there's five more. Uh, so <laughs> I mean, the, the customer experiences does not have a finish line and, and that's frustrating at times. But I mean, if I'm to be honest, it's one of the reasons I love the work. You can always make the experience better. And there's always different things that you're learning about your customers and what motivates them and how we can enhance their perceptions of us. The mm-hmm. work never ends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. From my experience and from like what I've seen at our company from the customers we've worked with is you can learn a lot about the company and the product from the customer service uh, data itself. Oh yeah. And, and customers are coming there because they have an issue with the product normally. And so just pulling that out and realizing like delivery company, uh, well, we have a food delivery company, for example, as a, as a customer, you can tell which product in particular of that food that comes always is moldy or, and all of that stuff. Like it's, it's a friction point. Yeah, exactly. And if you don't ever get that data back to that team, they're, they're going to not know that that's annoying customers causing churn. And then there's the moment of truth within that company. Okay. You've identified a clear friction friction point. How much do you actually care? Here's where we get that You take it away from the hypothetical of all we really care about our customers to, okay, we've identified a way for you to put your money where your mouth is. Are are you going to invest the time and energy required to eliminate or reduce this friction point? And that that's how you know the caliber of an organization. Yeah. It's a great place to end. Um, powerful, powerful closing line. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, it's been great talking to you. Have a good day, everybody. Thank you so much.